Mr. Grush and Mr. Mann, I thank you for being here today. And uh, I, I know of no uh, problem that we have with you personally. It's a situation that we're trying to get to the bottom of, and we thank you for appearing here uh, today. Mr. Grosh, you and Mr. Mann were designated as directors of the AIC, which was described in its own website as a, quote, international think tank. It's uh, very interesting on its website. It's, uh, it's described as uh, the American International Center is a public policy research foundation founded in 2001 under the high-powered directorship of David A. Gosh and Brian J. Mann. While only recently incorporated, the AIC has been striving to advance the cause of greater international empowerment for many years. Based in sunny Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, the AIC staff is using 21st century technology and decades of experience to make the world a smaller place. In summary, the AIC is bringing great, bringing great minds together from all over the globe. Uh, it goes on in, in that vein. Uh, um, Mr. Grasha, we'll begin with you. What did the AIC do? Um, I was only involved maybe five months, four or five months. Uh, whole time I was involved, uh, we rented the first floor of a house and uh, installed some computers. Mr. Mann, do you know what AIC did? Mr. Chairman? Upon the advice of counsel, I must respectfully decline to answer your questions based on my rights under the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution. Um, Mr. Mann, did you know that you were designated a director until you recently interviewed with the Justice Department? Again, I must respectfully decline to answer your question based on my rights under the Fifth Amendment. Mr. Grush, did you give Mr. Scanlon permission to put your name up on the AIC website? On the website, no. Did you give Mr. Scanlon permission to hold you out as a director for the AIC? Yes. Have you ever received an... Um, Scrush, I'd like to show you an exhibit, which is uh, 195. Can you provide that to the witness? Check out. Look in there at uh, 195. It's a letter from the AIC that's under your signature. Could I have it? There we are. This, this letter, signed by David Grosh, is present. Thank you very much for your recent contribution to the American International Center. Your donation of $200,000 will go a long way in assisting the AIC in its efforts to carry out its public policy agenda. As you know, the AIC is committed to influencing key policymakers on issues important to you and your constituents, on and on. The American International Center is a nonprofit corporation dedicated to educating the public on important issues such as our national relationship with commonwealths, foreign governments, and sovereign territories. As we discussed, we are not a tax-exempt organization as your contribution is subject to affection. Again, we appreciate your generous support. Um, 
Do you recall writing that letter, Mr. Grosh? No, I don't. Do you ever remember seeing it? No, I don't. Um, Mr. Grosh, did the AIC conduct any board meetings? Uh, I recall one. And how long did that last? Fifteen minutes. Um, you recall any business that was discussed at these board meetings? Off the top of my head, no. I'm sure we discussed something. It's, it's not to be. Uh, man, I I, th I think it says when these meetings took place, the extent of your role in the AIC at that time was cleaning the downstairs office space. Is that correct? Oh, that was uh, Mr. Mann doesn't want to answer. Um, As far as you were concerned, Mr. Grosh, was this basically another Scanlon entity? Well, legally, no. It was Mr. Mann and I, but, you know, he was calling the shots, sure. Um, so were, were you a little surprised when all this information started coming out that you were a director of a internationally respected think tank? Uh, surprise? Mm, not really. Uh, the reason I was, I got out of it, uh, when I found out it involved the federal government, Indian tribes and gambling, I knew that was, that was headed down the wrong way. Um, I, I, I want to point out again, Mr. Grosh, I, I appreciate your cooperation. I'm disappointed in your, your lack of, Mr. Mann, but I, 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 this committee holds no brief against you on, on this issue. We're trying to get to the bottom of things. We know of no allegation of wrongdoing on your part, at least that I, that I know of. Um, how, tell me how this all began, Mr. Grosh. Were you friends with Mr. Scanlon? Or yeah, I've that, known uh, Mr. Scanlon I was about 14. And, and what happened? He approached you in some way? Phone call. And said, Do you want to be head of an international corporation? <laughs> it's a hard one to turn down. <laughs> and at the time, were you living in Rehoboth Beach? Yes, sir. And, uh, Mr. Scanlon then informed you that your home would be the headquarters, or did yeah, you? Uh, actually, at that point, no, there was no headquarters. What, what? What? Tell me. Could you tell me just the sequence of events that took place after that? Uh, I asked him what I had to do, and you know, he said nothing. So that sounded pretty good to me. And then, uh, he. I'm trying to think how it all happened. Uh. He came by, we spoke about it, and I just, you know, at the time, I was like, yeah, sure, but not really taking it seriously. And then uh, he had me sign some papers, and then we went to a, I met him here in D.C., and then uh, we took over the bottom of the, the house I was living in. Did, did, um, did you receive compensation for this role? Yes. Um, and your background is a very honorable one, I understand, as a lifeguard. Is that correct? Uh, among other things. 
I'm not lifeguard anymore. No. And and uh, could you give us a little resume of some of your background? Uh, right now, I'm a excavator, a machine operator, uh, construction worker, uh, mentor in preschools, uh, bartender, typical beach. Thank you. Employment. Um, and do you remember the extent of the compensation that you received from Mr. Scanlon, roughly? No more than 2000 2500 A month? No, total. Total. Did uh, Mr. Scanlon promise you any fringe benefits? Uh, well, you know, we, I don't know if this is related to the AIC. We went to a Washington Capitals Pittsburgh Penguin hockey game. Good. Um, oh, did you go to St. Bart's with him? No. By that time, I was no longer. Well, uh, I, I want to be very clear, Mr. Mann, and I'm not asking you to change your position, but we view this as just a gigantic scam, and, and you two individuals were used uh, clearly by Mr. Scanlon, and we feel very strongly that your testimony could help us and I hope you'll maybe reconsider that or get a new lawyer Mr. Mann but uh, I hope you'll reconsider it uh, because this is this is really not uh, to, to, to for you obviously had nothing to do with posting this description of AIC on a website did you Mr. Grosh? No sir if I may uh, please I'm not I'm an adult. He didn't use me, you know. Mm -hmm. That's sense, you know. It's I, a pretty good deal, huh? Well, <laughs> obviously not. <laughs> At the time, it seemed like a good deal. Uh, well, you know, I didn't just crawl out of a cotton patch. Anything that sounds too good to be true usually is, you know. And they uh, and they used uh, the bottom floor of your house to. Yes. Thank you very we much. We did. They, they, I said, thank you. Ms. Redenauer, since 1982, you've served as president of the National Center for Public Policy Research. Yes, sir. Yeah. In uh, October 2002, as your capacity as president of NCPPR, as you testified, you received a million dollars from the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, correct? Yes. Um, Let's talk about how you came to receive the million dollars from the Choctaw Tribe. In June, July 2002, you told Mr. Abramoff that the NCPPR wanted to keep its, quote, program numbers, unquote, up for marketing purposes. That's according to emails that we have. In general, yes, sir. So you told Mr. Abramoff the NCPPR would be willing to participate in any program consistent with the NCPPR's tax-exempt purpose that Mr. Abramoff was working on. In general, yes, sir. Mr. Abramoff told you he and his firm invented for the Choctaw Tribe a, quote, new kind of lobbying, as you've testified. And you concluded such an edu educational purpose was consistent with NCPPR's charitable mission? Yes, sir. In October 2002, Mr. Abramoff told you the Choctaw Tribe had a million dollars to do this educational project, as you have testified.
But Ms. Woodenauer, before you allowed Mr. Abemoff to use the NCPPR as a pastor, you repeatedly warned, warned him that whatever the $1 million was used for needed to be appropriate for non-profit charitable foundation. I certainly did. After you received the $1 million, Mr. Abramoff instructed you to cut three checks. One, $450,000 to Mr. Abramoff's private charity, the Capital Athletic Foundation. $500,000 to Mr. Scanlon's outfit, Capital Campaign Strategies. And $50,000 to a small lobbying firm called Nuremberger & Associates, correct? Yes, except that in some cases there were wire transfers. Thank you. What, if anything, did Mr. Abramoff tell you about the $450,000 payment to Capital Athletic Foundation? It was to be a grant to the Capital Athletic Foundation for its purposes, consistent with the wishes of the ultimate donor, the Mississippi Choctaw. And as you testified, you didn't know that the Capital Athletic Foundation was Mr. Abramoff's private charity. Actually, I did not know Kegel was owned by Mr. Abramoff. I did know that he had an association with the Capital Athletic Foundation. I simply found it consistent with what I knew to be a warm relationship between him and the Choctaws. Um, did you know the primary beneficiary of the Capital Athletic Foundation was first and foremost a Jewish boys' school in Maryland founded by Mr. Abramoff? No, I was aware of the school, but I believed based on private conversations I had with Jack that it was financed through tuition from the parents. We heard testimony that Mr. Abramoff told the Choctaw tribe that this million dollars would be used for, quote, grassroots activities to influence legislation, unquote. Did he tell you this? Uh, not only did he not tell me that, he repeatedly told me that legislation would not be involved. Uh, I would not have approved our participation at all had I even known there was legislation. I had several things that needed to be um, specified before I went okay with it. And, and the absence of legislation was something he had to assure me about. What, if anything, did Mr. Abramoff tell you about the $500,000 payment to Mr. Scanlon's business, CCS? That was to be used for educational program services, particularly polling and telephone banks, uh, but not necessarily exclusively research, potentially paid advertising, oh, I was told later, petition drives, that sort of thing, but 100% educational program services. What, if anything, did Mr. Abramoff tell you about the $50,000 payment to Nuremberger and Associates? At first, he told me nothing, meaning in, in the conversation, so I immediately inquired. He told me then that Mr. Nuremberger was going to coordinate the project. In your uh, the invoices that you received from CCS, CAEF, and Nuremberg and Associates, the Capital Athletic Foundation was seeking payment for, quote, sports and politics project. Is that, is That's that what they wrote, yes. Do you believe that happened? Looking at the tax returns, it apparently did not. For a second, the invoice reportedly issued by Nuremberger and Associates for $45,000 for a supposed research grant. In an interview with the committee staff, Mr. Nuremberger, senior partner of the lobbying firm Nuremberger and Associates, stated that neither he nor his firm issued this invoice to the NCPPR. In fact, the firm never issued an invoice regarding the $50,000 it received from the NCPPR. In addition, Mr. Nuremberger attested that Mr. Abramoff told him that the $50,000 he was having the NCPPR pay him was repayment on a personal loan that Mr. Nuremberger had made to Mr. Abramoff some years ago. Did Mr. Abramoff ever tell you that the $50,000 you were sending to Nuremberger and Associates was in fact repayment to Mr. Nuremberger on a personal loan? Absolutely not. 
And I think I know your response if he had told you that. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, what, if anything, did you try do to try to verify that the million dollars was being put to use in the manner Mr. Abramoff stated? Unfortunately, I mostly asked Jack Abramoff for documentation. Uh, one of the things that we are now doing at the National Center is putting into place a series of checks and balances so that in the future this sort of thing will not happen to us again. But I trusted Jack. I believe not only that he had the fiduciary responsibility to us, but in fact was uh, attempting to serve his clients, the Choctaws, a nonprofit um, entity, uh, to the best of his ability as well. Uh, so what I did do was talk to him. Uh, not enough. Thank you, uh, Ms. Wright. Now, and I want to thank you for your candor and your willingness to appear here. And uh, I do believe that your organization has done excellent work over the years, and I've been familiar with much of it. I thank you for your testimony today. Ms. Wright, now, with respect to the million-dollar transaction, do you believe Mr. Abramoff lied to you? Certainly. It, I don't know how I could reach any other conclusion at this point in time. You believe that he may have defrauded the tribe? Certainly I do. You think he may have defrauded the NCPPR? Certainly I do. Thank you, Ms. Reidenauer. Thank you for being here today, and, and your involvement has been sad but helpful to us, and I thank you. Um, Mr. Stetter, could you take the microphone, please, from Ms. Reidenauer? You are a former employee of CCS, right? Yes. And one of the, the uh, things that you do is uh, set up groups that Mr. Scanlon or Mr. Cathcart used to have you conduct, conduct grassroots activities. Is that correct? I wouldn't say I set up groups. No, I wouldn't say that's, that's, that's actually. Oh, what, what would you say? I have wrote phone scripts with groups that were already provided to me, but I've never set up a group on I support, never. Um, is the Christian Research Network a, uh, a real organization to your knowledge? To my knowledge, no. How about the Global Christian Outreach Network? Uh, to my knowledge, no. And the Concerned Citizens Against Gaming Expansion? To my knowledge, no. And the Citizens Against Gaming? Michigan and he's against gaming. In other words, these organizations were used when you when your organization made uh, phone calls, right, to various constituents on issues. Yes. Particularly gaming. Yes, sir. And these names of these organizations were just provided to you. Uh, yes. And again. Um, Mr. Scanlon or Mr. Cathcart would instruct you to draft a phone script opposing some gaming initiative that might harm one of CCS tribal clients. Is that correct? That's correct. And they would give you some guidance on what the draft should actually say? Uh, yes, I would follow along from old drafts. And would you return the draft for their approval with the name of the organization left out? Is that correct? It would, either, it would be left out or provided later. It would be put in later. And usually that would be Chris Cathcart, Mr. Scanlon's primary assistant, would plug in the name of a grassroots group. I believe so, yes. For example, the Christian Research Network. In fact, 
an example of one such script that was drafted under that very name. It's, uh, what's that? It's uh, number 124. This is a phone script, and it says, Hello, my name is John. I'm calling from the Christian Research Network. We need your help to stop the spread of gambling in Louisiana. The situation is very critical. Do you consider yourself pro-gaming or anti-gaming? Record res record response if pro-disconnect. As you've seen in the newspaper, the Jenna Band of Choctaw Indians is trying to bring yet another casino to Louisiana, this time to DeSoto Parish, about 70 miles from where they're based. What's more is that the people of this parish have never been given a say in this matter. As a concerned citizen who opposes gambling, would you be willing to call Senator Bro slash Lambro Landrew Landrew and tell him or her to stop the spread of gambling in Louisiana? If no, disconnect. If yes, we can connect you to the senator's office. When they pick up, tell them to take a stand against gaming in Louisiana. Tell them to oppose a new Indian casino, patch through and collect data. Is that? Are you familiar with that one? Uh, yes, I am. Um, yeah, and and you don't, to your knowledge, you don't know who the Christian Research Network is. To my knowledge, no, sir. Um, As a uh, senator, uh, personally, I'm interested in this ability to patch right through the senator's office, something I always suspected, but <coughs> certainly an uh, effective uh, tool. I guess what I'm trying to get at, Mr. Stetter, is that, and I, and I understand the business that, that you're in, but should somebody have um, maybe checked and see whether these organizations are were legitimate organizations, or was it just your job to plug uh -huh. in the... Uh, uh, Mr. Chairman, as an entry-level employee, I, I didn't have uh, particular questions about what these groups were. Uh, I was just provided the names, and then I provided the scripts. I see. All right, sir. Um, I'd like to. We have more questions. I have another round, but I'd like to yield to Senator Dorgan at this time, and then I'll come back to the others. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. It's it's hard to know where to start with all of this material and, and I know that uh, you were asking Mr. Grosch about his employment and his uh, his opportunity to become a part of that organization and some found it funny. There's very little funny about this issue. Uh, going through the emails I might just observe that this was not only fraud on a pretty grand scale, but uh, let me just describe the smaller fraud here. Um, Exhibit 31 has a, a memorandum from Mr. Abramoff to a Rabbi Lapin. He said, I hate to ask you for your help with something so silly, but I've been nominated for membership in the Cosmos Club, which is a very distinguished club, opposed to Nobel Prize winners and so on. Uh, problem for me is most prospective members have received awards and I've received none. I was wondering if you thought it possible that I could receive an award from your organization. Probably you could call it something like a Scholar of Talmudic Studies or Distinguished Biblical Scholar Award. Uh, 
it'd even be better if it were possible that I received these in the years past, if you know what I mean. It's uh, that, that's to who? Who is that? Listen, it's uh, Exhibit 31. It's from Mr. Abramoff to a Rabbi Daniel Lapin. But um, my point is that this wasn't just cheating on a grand scale. In fact, uh, I believe that that goes on and on. And actually, they describe the type. And of the Rabbi Lapin's response is. Um, he said, what I'm trying to do here, it'd only be used for this situation of the Cosmos Club, but there's a chance they'd have to call someone to verify, probably just a few clever titles and awards and dates, as, as long as you can be the person to verify them. Uh, and Mr. The response from uh, the recipient, Mr. Lapin, is, yes, I just need to know what needs to be produced. Letters, plaques, neither. And... Uh, Anyway, the, the, the memorandum goes on. It's the, look, the point of all of this, there's, there's a lot of deception going on, and, and uh, there are victims of this deception. Let me go through a couple of, of areas, if I might. Mr. Stetter, uh, if I might ask you first, um, what we had was the establishment of a good many bogus groups. Isn't that correct? Uh, bogus organizations? Yes, if that's the term you want to use for it, yes. And did, was it the case where... These organizations, in many cases, actually had a telephone, and those telephones had numbers, and the, the, they were in a drawer, and the telephone would ring. You'd just go through the door and pick out which telephone it was. For uh, which to my knowledge, there was that drawer. It wasn't my job to understand, pick up the phones, but to my knowledge, that's how it worked. These were organizations that were created with names, and some of which perhaps my colleague Senator McCain just read, and it wasn't as if they didn't have any connection to anything. They obviously had a telephone line, with a telephone number, but you could just put all those organizations in a little drawer, and when the phone rings, you open up the drawer and figure out which phone rang, and then answer with the name of that organization. Uh, so that's what I refer to when I talk about bogus organizations. I believe there's a trail with respect to some memorandums uh, on that as well. I'd like to ask a couple of questions, Mr. Stetter, about Mr. Cathcart, because his name was just used a moment ago, and I'll go through this very quickly, but... Uh, um, you took a position with Michael Scanlon and his companies, uh, Scanlon Gold and Campaign Strategies, correct? Uh, Scanlon Gold Public Affairs or Capital Campaign Strategies. And you did some administrative duties and some research for clients? Yes, sir. Uh, you always maintained a support role behind the scenes, you've told us? Yes. Um, after you left the Scanlon companies, you were hired by the National Restaurant Association as manager of a grassroots program, is that yes, correct? Sir. Uh, given your background uh, prior to working for Mr. Scanlon, exactly what did you do at the Scanlon companies that qualify you for a job as manager of grassroots programs at this point? Uh, I'd say the main qualification was actually working on some of the phone scripts and working on some of the campaigns. I was actually uh, went to some of the gaming facilities and, uh, and uh, assisted with, uh, with um, letter writing campaigns. So there, there were, I did do some grassroots functions. Every organization has a kind of a right-hand man, somebody that is in charge. Uh, who was Mr. Scanlon's right-hand man? Uh, from my experience, it would be Chris Cathcart. Did he run the D.C. office? Uh, when Mike was out of town, I, I believe that there was, without having him having a title or, or, or anything, that it, it was understood that Chris ran, Mr. Cathcart ran the D.C. office. I believe Mr. Cathcart has, uh, has asserted publicly that he was just a mere gopher in the operation. you disagree with that? 
I guess a go. I guess in, in some degree we were all gophers for my for Mr. Scanlon. Uh, I was, I was pretty much probably described as a gopher for probably everyone in the in the operation. Who was in charge when Mr. Scanlon wasn't there in the D.C. office? I answered directly to Mr. Cathcart. So Mr. Cathcart was in charge. Thank you. Let me ask uh, Mrs. Reidenauer uh, a couple of questions about the pass through. Um, is this, would this be the, we know of the um, $1 million, I believe it was, we've discussed. Is this the first time money uh, in that quantity has been passed through your organization to, uh, in order to obscure its identity? Well, I don't believe it was, um, well, from our perspective, it was not being done to obscure its identity. Uh, the grant to Capital Athletic Foundation we perceive to be a legitimate grant, and the rest of it we perceive to be ongoing program work that we intended at some point to brag about on our website. So obscurity was never a goal. Well, except that, and, and you may be right with respect to that, you've heard me describe the other uh, attempts to deceive and obscure, but when Mr. Abramoff told your organization, which is a, a research organization, is it a C4? C3. C3. Um, when he told your organization uh, that he wanted a half a million dollar check written um, for a grant, was there actually a grant request that came in for the uh, grant that described here's what the grant money will be used for, here's the purpose of the grant, and you therefore award a grant? What happened was we received an invoice through Greenberg Traurig in October of 2002, and I discussed with Jack on the telephone the activities of the Capital Athletic Foundation. I was aware of his affiliation with it. I also had had a prior knowledge of what the Capital Athletic Foundation, at least officially, was supposedly doing. Uh, and one of the things that I that I worked to do at that time was ascertain that the Capital Athletic Foundation's mission not only was as a legitimate 501c3, which it did apparently was. Uh, but also that its mission was consistent with our own in terms of educational program services. Those tests seemed to be met, so I agreed to, to do the grant, believing that that was the wish of the Choctaws. I also said, however, specifically to Jack at that time, that if I am not convinced that all of the legal tests are met, and in this case I was thinking of C3 regulations, I wasn't even thinking about larceny or anything of that sort, uh, that I would simply make the offer to the Choctaws to return their money. But this is the first time that a million dollars has oh, been certainly. moved through certainly. the organization yes. for the purpose of moving it elsewhere. It's the largest grant we had ever received. Okay. And, and you did not receive a grant request from the Capital Athletic Foundation saying we're requesting a half a million dollar grant uh, with a one-page or two-page or ten-page description of what we want Correct. to do. Correct. We did money. not receive a formal grant proposal. And I assure you in the future Isn't we highly, certainly will. That's highly unusual, right? Well, since I had never done it before, unusual wouldn't be the term. Let's, let's put it this way. It will never be anything we ever do again. And my understanding is that the, the, uh, the small bit of trail that exists here had it described as the sports and politics project? Well, that's what Greenberg Traurig wrote on the invoice, or whoever wrote that invoice, frankly. Um, frankly, what I was told, and this is consistent w w with what was on the uh, Capital Athletic Foundation's tax returns and also their website, was that they were doing actual educational programs, creating programs through which teachers and mentors could teach young people about the importance of good citizenship values. So this was exceedingly you know, consistent with an educational mission. I understand. And I, let me just say, that, as Senator McCain has, I appreciate your appearing here and your speaking about this issue, and it's probably not comfortable for you to do it because 
you too were likely deceived. And, and so, but what I'm trying to get at is if, if in fact, Greenberg Traurig in a memorandum describing the circumstances describes a half million dollar grant to the Capital Athletic Foundation as a sports and politics project, that would, the politics part would probably run afoul of your C3, wouldn't it? Well, if, if, yes, if I thought that's what they meant. I just thought it was a person who doesn't understand and wrote that. And because I had had conversations directly with Jack Abramoff representing the foundation and had looked into the foundation enough to know what it really did, I just thought it was an error in the you know, copywriter, whoever actually created it. Certainly, if I had thought politics in the sense that we usually use it had anything to do with that foundation, there's no way I would have approved it. Do you, do you have some sense or do you understand, I hope you do, why those of us who look at this trail take a look at this movement of substantial money through organizations and then say, wait a second, that, that, there's something fundamentally wrong with C3s or C4s being used as conduits to direct money, which turns out in some cases, and I think the case with respect to the money that was directed through your organization by Mr. Abramoff, uh, money that Mr. Abramoff and Scanlon likely defrauded from the tribe. And so we look at that and say, how, I mean, how can this happen so easily with money that just slides through a C3 or C4 without even a two or three page grant request? It's not so easily, though. One of the things you have to keep in mind, Senator, is the relationship that we had going back by that time just short of 22 years. When you have worked with someone for 22 years, when they have been a member of your board of directors by October of 2002 for five years, when you've worked on projects together, when you know someone personally, when you believe, even though technically it's irrelevant that you are close personal friends, when you believe all of these things and you also know that it is in, and I still believe to this day it is in, a person's best interest to do a job right, your natural assumption is that the things they say to you are correct and true. In, in my future career, I will never make pretty much assumptions on anything again. But up until that time, believing that it was in Jack Abramoff's personal as well as professional interests, to be honest, to serve his client, the Choctaws, as well as he possibly could, and in our interest as an educational institution to participate in bona fide educational activities that educate the, the national audience about important issues, it seemed perfectly consistent with our mission and it seemed like good, solid work. As you know from my testimony, by July of 2003, even though I did not suspect anything resembling larceny, I pulled us out simply because we weren't seeing documentation. So we did have what we felt at the time were fairly high standards for documentation. They were not high enough. They're higher now. But we did pull out long before there was any, need, any news media coverage of Jack Abramoff. You feel this happened because he lied to you? Mr. Abramoff lied to you? Unless he walks into this room today and shows a heck of a lot of program service work, I'd have to say yes. Let me ask you for a moment about the uh, 2000 golf trip to Scotland that uh, was, I believe, the, the, uh, an amount of money came from your organization to, to help defray the costs of that golf trip in 2000. Is that correct? Yes. And can you describe how that happened? Because, again, you know, you might well imagine when we take a look at money moving through C3s or C4s, we say, wait a second, what, what's, what's going on here? Well, the same would be the case with respect to uh, what has been described in some emails as the golf trip. Actually, there have been two golf trips, and the, the 2000 golf trip was uh, 
Congressman DeLay and a group of others with Mr. Abramoff. And, and so tell me, if you will, and tell the committee how your organization got involved in putting some money up for that golf trip. Certainly. Uh, first of all, um, while I'm aware that it is referred to the golf trip um, almost universally, that is not a term that I use. We were um, contacted by Jack Abramoff in his capacity, I believe, as a member of our board of directors in approximately March of 2000. I say approximately, it might have been February, could have been April 1, but frankly, about that time. He suggested to me in his capacity, I believe, as a director, that it might be a nice project to have an educational trip to Britain, not Scotland, but Britain, to meet with parliamentarians. My mind went to London because, to the best of my knowledge, Parliament is in London. And I thought, that's not a bad idea. And I further thought that given what we expected to be at that time, uh, either Mr. Gore, or with an apologies, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Bush would be elected uh, president, that in coming years, and this of course is pre-9-11, we would either be looking at additional expansions of health care reform, meaning government-controlled health care reform, or potential privatization of Social Security. And this is literally what was going through my head. And I thought, given that both of these roads are places that Britain has gone, one to good effect, in my opinion, one to the other, it's not a bad idea for a congressional leader to go over, make some acquaintances with members of parliament, and come home. The trip, I believe that was approving. And indeed, the trip that I invited the member of Congress on, through his chief of staff, was simply to be a trip to London, meet with some members of parliament, and fly home. Uh, I'll say unfortunately, except I don't mean that, except in the sense of this controversy, at the time I was pregnant with twins and we had recently adopted a newborn baby. I was not prepared to go to London myself. So I expressed to Jack that I liked the idea of this project for educational reasons, but I was not going to be prepared to go myself. And frankly, quite selfishly, I was not going to let, and this is in the husband-wife sense, my husband go with him. So I said, we can't do this unless there's someone responsible who can handle logistics. We then discussed, he volunteered, we then discussed the propriety of the ethics laws, which I was assured, and I know this is a point two of media coverage, that it was perfectly appropriate for him, based on his knowledge of the law, to lay out some expenditures as long as he was promptly reimbursed by us. We discussed that in some further detail. I then approved him handling the project as the director of the National Center. I also said, make sure on your invoices they come from your home address, because I don't want there to be any question in anyone's mind, should anyone ever look into this, not actually expecting anyone would, that you are operating as a member of the board of directors of a think tank and not as a lobbyist, which he agreed and in fact did. Uh, at that point then, the invitation was expressed to uh, the congressman's office, and I primarily bowed out of the project, believing it to be in secure hands. And did the project turn out differently than you have described it to us in terms of the project you, you, you've just described to us, the type of project that you approved? Obviously, the descriptions of that trip are very different, so tell me about that. I did become aware uh, at approximately that same time of the trip, and I don't know exactly when, that Scotland was also included in the itinerary. Uh, I believe that, however, to be to meet with some additional members of parliament in that area. Uh, since then, and I refer primarily to things that happened in the news media in 2000 and some things we've, we've been told by others, uh, the trip seems to be very different from what I expected. Um, I wish to state, however, that um, although 
the news media has an interest in this particular congressman's uh, personal behavior. The fact is that I know of nothing that the congressional office did that was inappropriate. Now, I, I was not on the trip. I don't want to, you know, expand beyond my knowledge. But from what I know, and I actually should volunteer, but when I extended the, the offer, the invitation to the congr congressman's office, his chief of staff said to me that they were interested, but their concern would be, would the trip be substantive enough? And that's an exact quote. So I had no sense from them that they thought they were being invited on anything other than a bona fide educational opportunity. I, I won't go further into this because it's not part of the Choctaw issue itself, although I believe that a portion of the second golf trip was, uh, I think Choctaw money was actually used to pay for the second, a portion of the second golf trip. And I, I might say I, th I believe that in uh, some emails that these are both just referred to as the golf outing and well, how, uh, how much fun it is. But May, may I interject, yes. Um, yes. Senator? Um, the second golf trip is something in which I will be able to provide no information other than the correct. fact that we don't know anything about it. You're correct. And, and again, let me say that our committee is appreciative of the fact that you come here and, and visit with us. I, I still remain hopeful, and, it, and it's not for the purpose of suggesting that anything you have told us today is not accurate. There's, our investigators uh, have visited uh, with you. Uh, I have no basis for in any way suggesting that you have not been completely open in your responses. I think it's quite clear from what you have said. You feel, as do many others who have reached this witness table, you feel deceived uh, by people who uh, used money in a, uh, in a manner completely inconsistent with what you had felt uh, you had approved. So, but I, I do think because we have a number of C3s and C4s, and you've actually described, Mrs. Reidenauer, the, the importance of making sure that you're well within the bounds. So we, we have certain guidelines of what, what the use of C3s and C4s are, um, are for. And so uh, my hope remains that we'll, the chairman and I will talk about this, that, that we will consider talking to the Finance Committee about uh, looking into that portion of it. Having said all that, I, I think that um, the contribution of this panel is to describe further um, the, the root of money, the use of money, in some cases with respect to a couple of the organizations here, what appears to be almost complete obvious fraud to everyone. And again, that is not part of what this committee will be deciding. This committee is about following the money and getting the facts. And um, if you dyed that money purple, there'd be a lot of purple pants pockets uh, around this town and in the country because uh, they, were, they were moving into so many different organizations. Mr. Stetter, uh, when, I, when the chairman and I were asking you about organizations, they just created, apparently out of whole cloth, names of organizations. And part of it is what's wrong with American politics today. This is probably not the only circumstance where that hurt, where that happens. We're getting calls, Mr. Chairman. You were you were referring to this. We're getting calls in our office uh, uh, in recent weeks with people who have been contacted by a grassroots organization, apparently one that actually exists, and then they get somebody from back home on the phone and say, "Okay, now we're going to connect you with Senator Dorgan's office or perhaps Senator McCain's office." And in most cases, they don't want to be connected because they're not interested in the subject and they don't know why they're connected and. They're not on message, certainly. 
So I, I don't think that approach works in any event. But um, let me thank all of these witnesses for being with us and for cooperating. Mr. Mann, I regret you have not. You certainly have the right to exercise uh, uh, your constitutional uh, protections. Thank you, Senator Dorgan. Uh, Ms. Halpern, where did K-Gold operate from? To the best of my knowledge, K-Gold operated from Mr. Abramoff's home. Exactly what is it? K-Gold is a sole member LLC. Mr. Abramoff is the sole member. For tax purposes, it is reported on Mr. Abramoff's Form 1040 Schedule C, Self-Employment Income Schedule. In 2002, K-Gold's sole source of information was $13.5 million in supposed, quote, referral fees, unquote, that came in from Mr. Scanlon's company, Capital Campaign Strategies. Is that correct? Sir, I would need to go back to check the tax records, but in general it sounds correct. He, uh, K-Gold had income from Capital Campaign Strategies. And if you're the tax consultant and you see a, a uh, organization based in an individual's home that receives $13.5 million in one year from one source, does that, does that raise any, uh, ring any alarm bells with you as a tax consultant? Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, K-Gold's business, uh, is, as indicated on the Schedule C of the tax return, was political consulting. I am not aware what kind of uh, revenues a political consulting practice is supposed to generate. Well, you had access to records that showed that $13.5 million came in from one, organ from one organization. That was Mr. Scanlon's company. Capital campaign strategies. Yeah, a 1099 was received. Two 1099s, I believe, that year that, were received. That did not raise any red flags with you, sir. Again, my job is was to prepare his tax return, and in my engagement letter with Mr. and Mrs. Abramoff, there, uh, I state in the engagement letter it is the client's responsibility to provide all the information to me so that I can prepare the tax return. Well, you had the information that $13.5 million came in in one year from one source, uh, Mr. Scanlon's organization, Capital Campaign Strategies. Now, I ask you again, yes or no, did this raise a red flag with you that, that this was certainly highly unusual? Again, Mr. Chairman, I don't know if a political consulting practice, if that would be highly unusual in a political consulting practice. I can't answer that. I was not involved in Mr. Abramoff's inner work. I don't care if it came from the moon. If it's $13.5 million into an organization, the only amount of money that they get in, suppose, referral fees, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't anybody upholding their oath of office say, wait a minute, it's $13.5 million bucks coming in from one source in one year, uh, what, what's going on here? Sir, to the best of my knowledge, all information that Mr. Abramoff gave me was reported on his income tax return. And let me just state further, if you don't mind, sir. Sure. Mr. Abramoff in no way at any time tried to hide this income. Now, if you tell me, did he try to hide the income, would that raise a red flag kind of question? That's a different question. You're asking me if $13 million came in from, from one entity, I'm telling you, that's what he presented to me, and that was reported on his tax return. 
and obviously it didn't uh, arouse any curiosity on your part. Most people it would, Ms. Halpern. But, but, Mr. Uh, Chairman, would you just yield yeah. on that point? Yeah. Uh, Ms. Halpern, were you in the room when I read the email uh, earlier today about moving money in order to avoid paying taxes? Mr. Abramoff's... Uh, I, I went out of the room for some time. It's possible. I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't recall. All right. Ms. Reidenauer, you had discussions with Mr. Abramoff that obviously, as we've discussed, induce you into passing on to KGOLB two payments, $500,000 and $750,000 on May and June of 2003. You recall that? Yes. From those conversations with Mr. Abramoff, what were you led to believe that KGOLD was? I believed it was a public affairs firm run by Michael Scanlon that was very similar to Capital Campaign Strategies. They simply had different companies to do different functions. And these two payments originally came from the International Interactive Alliance? Well, they came from Greenberg Traurig. Jack Abramoff later told me the original source was the Interactive Alliance, yes. Did you know what was actually done with those payments? No. No, you didn't. I mean, I thought they were going to be used for educational program work. To this day, I don't know. According to K-Gold's general ledger, the $500,000 payment by NCPPR to K-Gold was credited on May 18, 2003, but within three weeks of arriving into Mr. Abramoff's K-Gold account, it appears that what wasn't tucked away for taxes went straight to Mr. Abramoff's personal account. Seems to have occurred with the $750,000 that the NCPPR paid to Kegold on May 30th, 2003. I think your reaction to that from your previous testimony is fairly predictable. It's, it's predictable and frankly I'm appalled. Ms. Halpern, you look like you want to say something else. No, oh, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, well, uh, I want to thank the witnesses uh, for being here. This is uh, story speaks for itself, and uh, I hope that we will get this unraveled sooner rather than later. And this committee can issue a full report. We'll have one more hearing um, on dealing with another tribe. Then we will issue a report. And this committee expects to come up with recommendations to whatever is necessary from the Indian Affairs Committee standpoint to see that this kind of uh, gross uh, injustice is not inflicted on any more uh, Native American tribes. Senator Dorgan, do you have anything to say? Mr. Chairman, I do not. I, you, you indicated another hearing. I, let me again um, suggest at least that we hold open the prospect of visiting about the issue of C3s and C4s, perhaps with uh, the folks in the Finance, finance Committee, because I think uh, additional questions are raised there. But uh, again, let me thank uh, the witnesses and let me thank also the investigators who have put in a substantial quantity of time. Uh, this has not been easy to piece all this together, and uh, we appreciate very much their work as well. And thank the witnesses. This hearing is adjourned.